Hello and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. I'm glad that you're joining us today at Summit Church. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a privilege to serve you, to share God's Word. So if you're here in person or if you're joining us online, we are glad to be together. So this is uh, kickoff Sunday. Uh, and of all Sundays that I need a clock, I'm going to need a clock. This is a kickoff Sunday. Uh, to those of you who know, uh, you know that we are kicking off the Make Room Project. In a short word, we're making room for ministry, for opportunities for the people of Summit Church to lead people to follow Christ. We're, we're out of ministry space, and Make Room is a project we believe is our next step of obedience in following Christ. On this day in our history, we again stand in a, a, a place, a fork in the road. It's our Jordan River crossing, uh, like God's people experienced in the Old Testament. 2014, we crossed the river. We uh, made the reach to fulfill the mission that God laid out for us. It was an amazing, uh, it's been an amazing nine years since we first moved here. We've funded hundreds of thousands of dollars in local and global missions. We've witnessed over 185 first-time professions of faith. 185 first-time professions of faith. We've done baptism to match those professions of faith. We've preached the gospel hundreds of times. We have prayed prayers thousands of times. This congregation has doubled in spite of COVID-19, right? The number of classes that have been taught in every age and gender group has grown dramatically. Marriages have been saved. Addictions have been overcome. Comfort has been realized to those who are hurting. Spiritual maturity is growing. Leadership impact is increasing. God is working. And we serve a perfect Savior and King. And even though He is perfect, we know this is not a perfect church. This is an imperfect church with imperfect people and imperfect pastors. All of that in an imperfect world. And yet the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And some of church is a part of the church in Niles and around the world. So now we begin a new journey, a new adventure, a new obedience in following Christ. Make room. It's a project to increase the amount of space we need to teach and lead adults to obey everything that Jesus has taught us. It is literally uh, one of the, the difficult challenges of of the office staff is managing classes like a air traffic controller trying to figure out who can meet where and when and we have people with an abundance of gifts and abilities who are willing to teach and to mentor and to coach and to lead others and they simply are standing in line waiting for opportunities it is amazing the number of people that God has blessed us with with the ability and the passion, the willingness to use their gifts in teaching to lead others. And it is astounding, um, actually, to think about that. It, this, this space also includes additional classrooms, bathrooms, offices, gathering areas. It includes a prayer room, nursing room, space for youth. It includes an expanding place for nursery care, a space for summit kids. Here's a quick picture of what that looks like. The uh, the, the, the portion up to the top, which is additional classrooms. Uh, there's uh, family restrooms. There's uh, a, additional large, larger men and women's restrooms. There's office space. There's gathering area. There's a place for people. We're making room for people. It's a plan that 
I believe, has been birthed in prayer and planning. It's a plan that continues to evolve as we uh, seek to meet specific needs. It's a good plan. It meets the requirements for today, but it keeps open the options for tomorrow. And we're on a journey. And you help to mark the way and to make room for others. Look, you are sitting here today because at another time a group of people believed God for a miracle. I believe God is leading us. And what he leads us to do, he makes a way for. We're going to need another miracle <laughs> to realize this vision. And here's the good thing. You and I can be a part of that miracle. I believe God is leading us, and he's going to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things because he's the source, he's the power of it all. And the way that God will lead you and me to respond to his will is, is, is the stuff that miracles are made of. The fork in the road is this. We have 42 acres to do something uh, with other than plant corn. Some of you may rem remember back many years, this property once was a hay field and a cornfield. There were days because of water that, would, uh, that is transferred to this property, another 1,400 acres drains water onto this property on its way down to the St. Joe River. There were days that the, the, the golf, former golf course across the road was covered with corn stalks with the water that was on its way to the St. Joe River. We're not planting corn. We're planting a different kind of seed, the Word of God. We're reaping a different kind of harvest, the harvest of souls. We have an incredible place to serve. These 42 acres that God has seen fit to use for His kingdom purpose. Uh, the summit swoop, as some call it. Um, because not just one, but there are two drives that swoop <laughs> um, and lead people onto the campus. We've been blessed with a wonderful group of people. The road we've chosen is to keep on following Christ, to do whatever He calls us to do His way, His time, His glory. Now, I know this. <laughs> I, I know this is true, that whatever we do, there will be some who will criticize. If we don't make room on top of being disobedient, someone will oppose it. If we do make room, someone will oppose that. The thing that I've noticed about the people of God, every time they were on the move, someone, even people from within, but surely people from without, had negative things to say and do. That's inevitable. Movement causes friction. But I'll also remind you that move, movement also, uh, lack of movement also causes bed sores. <laughs> and worse. For over 30 years, I have tried to follow Christ and lead this church in the way that seems good to the Holy Spirit and to those entrusted to oversee the ministry direction of Summit Church. I feel him prompting us to make room, to go on a venture of obedient faith. There are times when people may be thinking, well, enough is enough. Some may say, well, this is comfortable. I, I like where we are. Leave it alone. Some may think we're wasting money trying to make room for more people. I've listened to the criticisms over the years. I've prayed over them. Here is my understanding and my commitment to you. That as long as I'm living and God is still saving people, I will do my part to lead people to follow Christ. Whatever it takes, however he leads. The church is not just for Christians. I've reminded you often, the church is not a cruise ship, it's a rescue ship. This ship ain't cheap. It's valuable. It's expensive. 
This ship ain't sitting in the harbor. It's sailing the seas of a stormy world. And I want to tell you this. This ship ain't going down because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So now watch this. I've never been able to say this to you before, but I'm 58 years old. I was young when I came. I've lived 50 or 60 years in the last 30. And while I want, I suppose anybody who's not crazy, this would be true. While I want you to love me and agree with me, I want you to love Christ and follow him more. The older I get, the more clear and dear is the Great Commission. Some people think the church is only for Christians. I don't think that. I think the church is also for the world, to make room for them. And no matter where God is in his greater scheme of things, along with the eminent return he has promised, the truth is, in spite of distractions, the more and more I think about what Christ has said when he said, go make disciples. By the way, disciples, not merely converts. Disciples. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Lead them to follow Christ. And the truth is, we've all been called to be on that mission. That the importance of following through, doing what he says, in these days is absolutely vital to our obedience and to the salvation of many in our community. We take our inspiration from God's Word. I've shared this with you before, 2 Kings chapter 6. The company of the prophets said to Elijah, Look, the place where we meet with, with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole. Let us build a place there for us to meet. Quite literally, we need to make room for more people. If all y'all is all of y'all, and we're happy with that, we're good. We're a little tight here and there, but we can make it. But if you have a vision that believes that God loves the world and that he sent his son to save them, and you're concerned about the 65% of people in Berrien County, Cass County, and St. Joe County, one, one county is 65%, Cass County, 65% unchurched, Cass County. Berrien County is a little bit better. St. Joe County is a little better than that. None of them... Um, um, none of them, I, I don't believe any, if I have to check my facts on this, but I, I don't believe that any of them are over 30% churched. But 65% in Cass County. And if we care about the 65% of unchurched people in our communities, then we have to be obedient to do what God has called us to do. It's going to take all of us to do what God's called us to do. Things were going pretty well for this group, but they were being hindered in their ability to do what God had called them to do. And we have identified many ways that this current building is too small for us. God's given us a vision to make room. In order to help us to do that, there is a, a, a campaign team, make room campaign, campaign team, that has been compiled, and I want to introduce them to you. I want you to, first of all, just see how this works. Um, here's a, a flow chart, and uh, there's congregation, and there's elders that serve. And we have put together a team with a general chairperson and campaign administrator and team leaders for these other seven teams that will help us as we progress through this journey. Here are our team members for this team. 
Jose Ontiveros is our campaign chairperson. We're blessed to have Jose as a part of Summit Church, community leader, also serves in Summit Kids. He and Whitney are in a life group. Um, Jose is leading our team. Nikita Walter is our campaign administrator. She and her team helped the campaign chairperson, uh, the entire team, by equipping them with what they need, coordinating uh, resources, information, so that we all work together. Chuck Zook is the spiritual emphasis team leader. Pastor Chuck has a team of folks joining him to lead us in prayer over the course of this campaign. Stephanie Powers is leading the creative gifts team. She and her husband, Will, are in a life group. Her work in the secular world sets her up well to help us in this way, helping people find creative ways to give. She's leading a very capable team of folks. Caleb Hoskins is heading up the communications team, responsible to keep us up to date and informed all along the way. I'm going to put information in your hands that you, you will be informed as we walk through this project together. Katie Shire is leading the advanced challenge team. Her team is in the front of this campaign, uh, working with leaders, uh, encouraging, challenging leaders to go first. Leaders lead, and this team will be challenging the leaders at Summit Church to go first, to show the way, to make a commitment, to make room before the congregation is challenged to do the same. Lots of upwork, upfront work with this team. Chuck Zook is also heading up the presentations team, making sure the main message is clear and concise and compelling. Uh, they're going to help make sure you get the information you need. Danielle Gibson is the team leader for the Reminders team. She's going to make sure you know when and where you need to be to get the information you need to get. She and her team will help you, guide you through the process. Kate Hatch is the leader of the arrangements team. Without this team, uh, we would miss too many details. Um, her responsibility to, to gather people in, um, host people, coordinate the details of meeting and invitations and all that kind of thing. Now, I, I just need to say to you, uh, there are a lot of teams that are still um, fulfilling. Many of those teams have some other members on them. Other of those teams are looking for, for people. They're recruiting people yet. And if someone... Uh, calls you and asks you to serve, um, I urge you to take the opportunity to serve. And after all of this, these teams are put together, we have a lot more hands-on kinds of things we're going to need your expertise on, things that you guys do when this team comes together, when, when we talk about some of the physical stuff that has to happen and decisions that are made and, in, in building and whatever else. We need a lots more people, but this is the team that's taken us so far. I want to give you these quick... Um, values. You need to know this. This Make Room campaign, first of all, everything we do will be consistent with the Word of God. You can count on this. There will be no surprises. We will never come to you, or never you'll never come to a meeting unless the meeting purpose has been clearly communicated to you in advance. There's no smoke and mirrors. We don't need that. We don't want that. We won't do that. Another value is you will be asked to submit commitments on or before the commitment Sunday. No one will ask you to attend a campaign event and expect you to fill out a card at that moment. This is going to be something that you work through with your family. Uh, you think about and pray about. There's no on-the-spot kind of commitments being asked for. Your campaign commitment is going to be kept confidential. Another value, you will never be asked to publicly de declare your commitment. We commit that to you. And then finally, there will not be any pressure to participate. We invite and encourage all of you to. It's going to take all of us doing our part. Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. But there's no pressure to participate. As the Lord lays on your heart. So there are a lot more teams that are going to be required as we move forward, a lot more opportunities, but we need everyone to join. Uh, we're headed this way. Uh, it will be good to have you on the journey as part of the church that God is leading. The timeline will be unfolded in some future communications to you. Keep an eye on the app and push, watch those push notifications. Um, you'll be well informed. I've asked one of our elders, Travis, to come and to lead us in prayer. And I want you just to join Travis as we pray for this campaign team as they lead, lead this church through Make Room.
Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we go on this journey together to make room, Lord, I want to pray specifically for these teams and the members of the teams that are going to join, Lord. As they serve others, Lord, guide them, direct them. Lord, help them to hear your voice through this whole process. Lord, help them to serve in love and in truth. Lord, I pray for those that are thinking about serving. Um, Lord, convict them. Um, help them to reach out to those that are, in, that are serving on these teams, Lord. And Lord, as these eight teams are together here, Lord, help them to be united as one under you. So Lord, help us through this process. We love you. We trust you. We give you the glory and honor today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to be sharing some stories with you over the course of this journey together of things that happened last time, some of the life stories, some of the transformation. But this morning, I want to share a story with you about a family that, since we moved here and in the last couple of years, has um, been a part of Summit Church. And I want you to hear the story of how, what God is doing in the Pike family. Watch this. Hi, I'm Kevin Pike, and this is my wife, Jessica. We have four kids, uh, Jackie, 17. We have Bree, she's almost 14. Uh, we have Maddie, she's 12, and Eric is seven. And we've been coming to Summit for two years now. We first started coming to Summit after we moved to Niles. We um, tried some churches before, but nothing ever really stuck. So we'd heard good things about Summit, the community here. So we figured we'd give it a try and instantly we felt really welcome. Yeah, everybody was super friendly when we started coming here and we started kind of recognizing people more every Sunday we'd come here. And it was just a great atmosphere to be in every Sunday morning. Another reason we liked it here is the program for kids. Having four of them super spread out uh, we weren't sure if that was going to be possible, but Summit seems to have something for everyone. Summit Kids on Sunday mornings is awesome for Eric, and then every Wednesday the older three get to go to youth group, and it's nice to have a safe environment for them to make friends and to, you know, have fellowship and learn things that's on their level. Originally, I was not fully on board with coming to church every Sunday. Uh, I always thought like Sundays were for football, and and that was you know what you did on a Sunday, but then. Jess was kind of adamant that we should go to church, it's good for us. She'd make a big breakfast for us in the morning, get us going. And I started seeing changes in Eric. He started asking me questions about things that I didn't necessarily know the answers to. So I, you know, it kind of made me a little bit intrigued. So I started paying more attention and you know, opening up my Bible and it all started sinking in. It was almost like God was working in me. And I started wanting to learn more about it and, and actually started, you know, incorporating things in my daily life that I would learn. I felt like I was learning, uh, you know, how to be a better person, how to be a better husband, and how to be a better father. I'm so grateful that she was persistent with us and now we are on the right track in life. And I feel like God put her in my life to push me when I was going to be stubborn and I'm very grateful for that. Honestly, for me, becoming a part of the Summit family has been life-changing. I came in as a divorced mom with a lot of baggage and uh, I've never felt judged for that here. Instead, God has shown me how to heal from the pain of my past, um, forgive those who hurt me, and He's shown me how good life can really be. If I just put my trust in him. Life group has helped a lot, helped open us up spiritually a lot because we, we get to meet with people who have taught us a lot, even though we're like the old ones in the group. They've, they've taught us a lot in life group. It's been encouraging yeah. and we can lean on each other in hard times and you know, rejoice lean with on, each other yeah. in good times. And it's been nice. We call it our date night yep. every other week. <laughs> real people with, with real problems just like us. Yeah. And, you know, they would show us grace and we could show them grace no matter what level we were at spiritually. It was nice that they could walk me through some of the things that I might not understand. Like if I read something in the Bible or I heard something on Sunday, I, you know, I might understand it. That's like, was always a perfect place to bring it up. And, you know, Bradley, Ben or Will would, would walk me through it and kind of explain it to me in a, in a way that I can understand. I've watched Kevin grow spiritually and 
seen him grow more bold and confident in his faith. And I've seen my kids come to know and love and trust in Jesus. Overall, our household just feels more peaceful and we pray together now and we try to give each other the same grace that's given to us every day. For the future, we're praying that God will help us as a family grow spiritually, as a married couple grow spiritually, and give us the courage to share the gospel with people who may not have may not have heard it. Also, as a family, to just be a light, be a bright light in the world that sometimes has, you know, is, is dark. God has turned our family's lives around for the better since we've been at Summit. Our prayer now is that God continues to work in the lives of those who might be in the same spot that we were in once. That he can use our story to encourage others um, so that maybe one day we'll be a part of their story. Wow. One of the things that was interesting to me is a coworker who I do not know, someone who worked with uh, Brother Pike uh, in his secular work, called me one day and he said, I just want you to know, I don't know what's happening at Summit Church, but I see a difference in Mr. He said, Mr. Pike. I see a difference in Mr. Pike at work. I said, that, that's a testimony of God's goodness and grace. I want to take a few moments to share something with you from God's Word that is important for us to know today. I think it helps us to understand why we would venture out again on a journey like this. Luke chapter 15 is where I would direct your, your, uh, your eyes to go. Luke 15. In, in what may be one of the most sobering films of all time, Schindler's List, it is a story about a rich businessman who gets an idea about buying Jews from the Nazi concentration camp so they can avoid being killed. There's a scene where he begins to negotiate a price to buy them to work in his factories. And he makes a personal investment to save a soul. Of course, Christ is the ultimate example of that. He paid the price of our sin by dying on the cross. He gave his life so that we could have eternal life. But a question I pose to you this morning is, how much of a price are you willing to pay for the cause of Christ? What value do you put on a human soul? Check out this passage in Luke chapter 15. Notice verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners. He eats with them. Now, this is an amazing passage of Scripture as we go down through chapter 15. Revealed in these verses, among other things, is an understanding that I think we need to know as we kick off the Make Room Project. We need to get this because it's important stuff. Now, First of all, notice that Jesus is being accused of hanging out, hanging out with the wrong crowd. <laughs> Jesus was condemned by religious people because of who he hung out with. Many of the people drawn to Jesus were, were people that church people were repulsed by. Look, Jesus sought out outcasts. He looked for uh, those who were down and out. He treated with them with dignity and respect. He loved them. He liked people that... Um, people thought he shouldn't like the tax collectors, the other sinners. They liked hearing him. But notice what it says about the religious people. It says, they muttered. They muttered. They didn't keep it to themselves. By the way, do you know, do you know this, that not everything that you think in your head should come out of your mouth? Do you know that? But in this case, they didn't keep it to themselves. They muttered. It, they were muttering. Um, to say something under one's breath, it, out loud, but in a low, maybe even barely audible voice, especially in dissatisfa dissatisfaction or irritability. 
to speak in an undertone, to grumble, to moan, to complain, to grouse, to carp, to whine, to mither, which literally means to fuss about something. To sure it's, to sure, for sure, it's, it, it's condescending. And then check this out. <laughs> Would you look at that? He welcomes sinners and eats with them. Who is Jesus guilty of hanging out with? Spiritually unconnected people, lost people, people who have not heard about Jesus before. And when you think about the people uh, that he hung out with, those are the people that didn't come to church. And yet Jesus gave special treatment to lost people. He was drawn to them. In fact, if you, if you move forward to, to Luke 19, a few chapters forward, it tells the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus is walking along. He finds Zacchaeus, um, who is a, sh- a short guy sitting up in a tree. Uh, he could see from that vantage point who Jesus was, and Jesus sees him and invites him. In fact, Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. He said, I'm coming over to your house. And Zacchaeus was more than willing to welcome him in. And as a result, Zacchaeus repents, and Jesus says, salvation has come to your house. And then he says this in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Do you think there's room in God's house for one more? Jesus said, I've not called the righteous to repentance, but sinners. He went after broken people. He loves sinners. Good thing. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none that are righteous, no, not one. And even while we were sinners, Christ died for us and gave his son as a sacrifice for our sin. He so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him doesn't perish but has everlasting life. But the spiritual folks in this story were having none of it. So, very quickly, Jesus spins out three little stories, and I've got a minute apiece. (laughs) I'm going to cheat the clock a little bit today, just saying. Watch this, verse 3. Here's what he says. Jesus told him about this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So the occupation of being a shepherd, first of all, is repulsive. Those people are unclean. And then to think about a sheep. I mean, big deal, right? You have 99. If you lose one, the religious people are thinking, big deal, right? Big deal. The observers think, well, who who really cares? And then Jesus says, well, I tell you this, in the same way, that a, that a shepherd, I'll tell you who, if you have 99 sheep and you lose one and you're a shepherd, guess what? You want, that 90, you want the 99 safe, but you're going after the one. And Jesus said in the same way, heaven rejoices when one person is saved. What is heaven watching for? The one. The one. When someone, gets, when someone who was lost is found, heaven cheers. The searching comes at a cost. It costs the shepherd to go look for the sheep. It costs dollars to do ministry. It costs dollars in facilities. It costs hours of time. It costs the use of many gifts. But heaven is looking to throw a party, and so should the church when lost sheep are found. Jesus uses the sheep to teach this lesson that people matter to God. He's saying, I seek the lost, and so should you. Make room for them. Now, check this out in verse 8. Or, Jesus, here's the second story. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, if being a shepherd was repulsive to the Pharisees, can you imagine the disgust when Jesus starts telling stories about women? Because women in that day were chattel. They were property. They, they didn't have the worth that the Pharisees thought that they had. And 
So there's this woman. She has 10 coins. She loses one. Big deal, right? What's the big deal about that? Um, but I'm guessing if you had 10 and you lost one, you'd look for it too. Someone might say, calm down, calm down. You still have nine. Who cares about that? Well, let me tell you who cares about that. And you might be saying, well, if I had 10, I lost one, I still had nine, I wouldn't care. Yes, you do. You know how I know that? <laughs> Think about that when it comes to tithing. It's only one out of 10, and you care about that. If you've ever had a hard time parting with one-tenth, then you know the importance of finding that coin. So she loses it. She searches for it. She finds it. She celebrates it. It's a party. Some people on the outside say, big deal. She says, it matters. And joy came when she was reunited with the lost coin. And yet, check this out. Jesus isn't done telling stories yet. Look at verse 11. And Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. We don't know exactly what he did, but the Bible describes it as wild living. Now, do you see, you see what Jesus is doing here? Guy has 100 sheep, he loses one, what does he do? He goes to look for it. Why? Because it matters. It's not just dumb sheep, it matters. A woman loses a coin, she has, still has nine, but she's lost one, what does she do? She goes to find it. Why? Because it matters. And a father has two sons. One son is a sinner, the other one is self-righteous, but he has two sons. One goes away. One out of two, big deal, right? It's just a son. Wait, you can't say that. So what does he do? He waits for his son. Why? Because it matters. The heart of the dad is breaking for his son in spite of the fact that the son was saying, I want to live as if you were dead, dad. In fact, the father said, my son is dead. Now, is he physically dead? No, he was alive, but he was dead in relationship. It's tough to be a parent. Do you remember taking a child who was sick to go see a doctor, and maybe there was some medicine they were supposed to swallow, or maybe they got a shot, maybe it was an immunization, and you said, oh, if I could take that shot for my kid. right? you ever remember thinking that or saying that? I remember one day when we were, gonna, we were leaving for vacation in a couple of days, and for whatever reason, Katie decided the tree climbing was going to be the fun for the day. She fell out of the tree, broke her arm. I walked over to her. She cried. I picked her up. She was, uh, she was laying there. I, I, I went to her. I saw her arm was hanging at a not good angle. Literally took her arm, put it on mine, whistled around. I said, get in the car. We're going to the emergency room. She broke her arm. Uh, I, remember, I remember in soccer, playing soccer, <laughs> um, concussions. I don't know about, something about this girl. Her motor wouldn't quit. Always going, always going, always going. And I can't remember if it was hitting heads. It happened numerous times. There was head-hitting incidents, but there was a time, I think, where she ran into, got shoved into um, a, a goalpost, and... and near the end of the game, she came walking over to us going, you know, the team doctor had taken her off, and, um, hey, you need, need to take her in. I think she may have a concussion. And she came, I don't have a concussion. Meanwhile, there's this knot on her head that's like protruding, you know, like a golf ball. You know what that does to a dad? <laughs> Ugh, girls in soccer. Daly broke her nose. Some point along the way, she broke her pinky toe. I mean, it hurts today to think of my kids in pain. Ben, I don't know what he was doing, fell out of a grocery cart, <laughs> hit his head. Please don't call Child Protective Services on us. He fell out of a cart. 
Smashed his head. I'm thinking, oh, good. That's what he's going to do, and we're done with that. Oh, no. I remember the day the play was over, and everyone was getting up. And I'm looking at the huddle to find my son's number, and I couldn't find it. But I did see a football player laying on the ground, and I saw people huddled around him. And I kept on looking and kept on looking. And then someone said, it's Ben. I jumped the fence. I jumped the other fence. I ran out to the field. Coaches were calling me over. His foot, his ankle was going the wrong direction. I thought, well, that's it. No, there was another one. <laughs> Tore up his knee. You think, well, when they get older, it gets easier. <laughs> it's not. You know that with teenagers, sometimes they make decisions that you don't agree with. They have freedom, but sometimes they make poor choices. Some of us think, well, when they graduate from high school, it's finally over. Well, <laughs> it isn't. Today, some parents are in pain over a rebellious child. We're talking about a child. Children who may not stand for your values and you can't make them do it. But this father, he loved his sons, both of them. And when his son comes home, there's a party. This Jew, this son, is feeding unclean animals. And then he starts eating pig slop. The kid is paying for the choices that he made. You can see that in verse 17. He then comes to his senses. Oh God, I pray that you would bring our children to their senses. And look what happens in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, so he comes to his senses, he got up, he went to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven, against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. Kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine, which was dead, is now alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The father sees the son, sees the son coming from a distance the son starts the repentance speech, and the father says, I know, I know. He embraces him, and he cares. You say, well, I don't deserve that. Exactly. This is like God. And yet when we came to him from afar off, he loved us. I think this is what heaven looks like. I think this is what heaven looks for the lost being found, the joy in reunion. He's home. My son was dead, dead to me. Now he's alive. He heaven is celebrating. You notice verses 25 and following, the older son's not too happy. The father pleads with him. Look, the son said, your son, notice he said your son, not my brother, your son squandered away your money with prostitutes. Well, isn't that interesting? Who has mentioned the fact that he was with prostitutes. Maybe that's how the older son would have spent the money had he had a chance to sow wild oats. He was the first to mention that, specifically. He said, my son, you've always been with me. Your brother was dead and lost, but is alive and found. The older son was always with his father. He had much to do with his father, but you know what he didn't have? He didn't have his father's heart. Three things that I want you to learn today. We have to learn to think small. You say, well, I thought you were talking about making room. Yep. We have to think small. One out of a hundred, one out of ten, and one out of two. It all matters. The focus isn't just the 99 that you already have. The focus is the one. Jesus said, I care for the one if it's the only, as if it's the only one. I care for the one even if you still have nine. I think there's an indictment on churches that don't care about lost sheep lost coins, lost sons. If we lose that focus, we will lose it all. 
The minute the older son lost his father's heart, the moment you lose the father's heart, you've lost it all. When the only concern you have is for we and us and me and my, we have lost it all. Making rooms about thinking small, it's about reaching one more and one more and one more. Do you remember the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Desmond Doss, conscientious objector who saved numerous lives on the battlefield through his bravery and dedication as a medic. And he got to the edge, and he could have been lowered down to safety, but he said, Lord, give me one more. And how many times he said one more? I'm not exactly sure. But when he came off, um, life oozing out of him, there were those who stood, the mighty four fighters stood and gave knowledge to one who was willing to go after one more. We have to make room. Notice this, that the intensity of the search is directly proportional to the perceived value of that which was lost. If we don't move and make room for the loss of our community, it means we don't value them. Jesus is saying the value of lost people is very high. We should never underestimate it. Here's the final thing. When you see what God sees, you're made, motivated to do what God does and to do what God says. And when I do that, and I see what God sees, my life is blessed. Second Peter reminds us the Lord wants everyone to come to repentance. So why is that important to you, God? God says, I'm bringing my creation home. Is it your will that I share my faith with others? <laughs> God says, yes. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. What if, have you ever <laughs> lost one of your own children? Even for a moment, I have. It's sheer panic. It's horrible. Time stands still. Nothing else matters. You're so focused on finding that child that nothing matters. Time doesn't matter. Thankfully, it was just a short time, but it seemed like an eternity. People matter. We have to make room. What if God came to you and said this? Here's what I want to do for you. Let's say you have two children. You have two children, and God comes to you, and he says, here's what I want to do for you. I want to guarantee... This is a guarantee to you that one of your kids will go to heaven and the other one will go to hell. Which one do you want me to save? I couldn't make that decision. God, don't make me choose that. And this is what God is saying. People, quit asking me if it's okay if my people go to hell. Quit asking me if those who I've loved and created are going to hell. Quit asking me if that's okay. Quit acting like that's okay. Make room. Make room. Our problem is we often have an unholy contentment, an unholy contentment with life. It's all kinds of things we like to do. Work around the yard, play sports. Sometimes we have an unholy contentment that says good enough is good enough. What's driving you? What are you passionate about? It is, is it worthy of your life? I'm going to ask the team to come. They're going to lead us in our last song. Summit Church has an incredible responsibility to reach one more. The 65% of people who are not churched in Marion, Cass, and St. Joe counties in Michigan. Back to Schindler's List. A man who made a difference in one of the darkest hours of human history. He decided he would stand in the gap and he would buy Jewish people, have them work for him rather than die in the concentration camp. Six million Jews died 
during the Holocaust. Schindler wasn't able to save every one of them, but he was able to save over 1,100. We have an incredible responsibility to make room. We can't save all the people. We don't have the opportunity to save them all, but those that we do have opportunity to, those who are within our grasp, just as Schindler did by God's grace, let's make a difference. What is one person's life worth? Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, I'm reminded eternal value of a human soul. I want us all to ask God in the coming days, what is a, what is a life worth? And am I willing to make room so that someone can know Christ? Heavenly Father, Why did you trust us with such a mission? It's too great for us. We acknowledge that. But we would also dare to say that you in us is greater than anything that could stand in our way. And we commit to you and we ask you to guide our steps. Help us to make room. Give us grace to lead one more to follow Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.